I'm Benjamin Godsell, and this is my co-host, Nate Freeman. Benjamin, where are we right now? Where are we sitting? Where are we? Where? What city are we in? We're in the city of Chicago. That's right, Chicago. We've been dragging it through the garden. Mm-hmm. We're slumming it here in the Ambassador Hotel. It's it's a fine hotel. I'm staying at the Peninsula. It's nice. Very, nice flex. Very nice nice very, flex. Very, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have been having the time of our lives here in in Chicago, haven't we? I've been having a great old time, and I before we get into it, because I think we're going to chop it up quite a bit here, I do want to let people know on the second half of this podcast, we have an incredible, like the like the kind of interview that is why we started this podcast with Jim Dempsey and John Corbett of Corbett v. Dempsey Gallery. Um, they're like Chicago heads, and they, exactly. drop, they drop some history on our domes. They're basically. as Chicago as it gets. It's an amazing interview. It's really good. Just stay tuned. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, if you, if you need to fast forward through this blathering, but we get some good stuff going on. I'm having a hell of a time here in Chicago. You know, I I've always maintained my love for the windy city, and you know, it's the second city. We live in New York. That's the best city in America. But Chicago's pretty amazing, and I love coming here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into rankings here, um, but you know, you are a meat and potatoes kind of guy, this so is it true. appeals to you. Mm-hmm. It appeals to you on that level. We've been doing some good eating. We hit the ground running, and like you know, we just got out of the art fair uh, just a little bit ago, which is kind of the the reason we are here. But yesterday, man, we attempted to get at it hard, right? We went really hard. How did yeah. we how did we start it out? I mean, I landed, you know, splashed some water in my face, and then we immediately went to Portillo's. To we get did some dogs. We got some dogs. It was a, cl- a classic order, like everything on it. Dragged through the garden. Got the sport peppers. Got the neon green mm-hmm. lettuce. You got the the mm-hmm. hot dog from the ham- famous uh, hot dog place. What's it called? Anyway, the brand I can't From think Portillo's. of. Portillos. No, no, no. But then uh, there's a oh, specific the uh, Vienna dog. Vienna dog. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get the poppy seed bun. Fucking incredible. Uh, made the mistake of ordering a side salad because I wanted some veg, <laughs> and I, I was like, no I'm bacon. Barely qualified salad. I'm not sure if it was food. And I, I was like, you know, definitely. I saw that there was bacon and cheese. And I was like, I don't want any bacon. Don't want any gorgonzola. <laughs> Little did I realize that there's also pasta in the salad, and I think bits of fried chicken. It was it was a mystery wrapped in an enigma. More <laughs> yeah, than, not more than a uh, leafy side for your meal. It's not, this is not the city you come to for vegetables. No, no. Uh, but we 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 hit it up. You had a, a beer and a goblet the size of your head. It was a frosted mug, Benjamin. It yeah. was just fantastic. Yeah, and then we decided to, uh, we were like, we got the food, we got a nice little lining to the Tum Tum, mm-hmm. and uh, headed over to the iconic Art Institute of Chicago. Unfortunately, they're still in the pandemic, and they're closed they both were closed Tuesday on, on, and Wednesday. This is true, but we'll come back to the Art Institute. We, we pivoted, we called an audible, and we did something pretty cool. We did something, maybe one of the coolest things I've ever done in Chicago, so, no lie. For years, I've been hearing about this architecture tour. It's a boat tour that goes down the river from Lake Michigan, and you know, you see the sites, you see the buildings, you get a little, little bit of architectural history. Sounded cool, sounded a little touristy. I'd never done it, but after years of you know, just hearing this, we decided to uh, take the plunge, so to speak. We went on the architecture tour. It was awesome, man. It, it was, was fucking, fucking dope. So this tour guide, this guy was a, a pro. Like he gets up there before the boat even starts going, he's immediately just just riffing. He's got this great bit about how it's a beautiful day, and you know it would be a crime not to have a cocktail. There's a bar on this boat, by the way. Did um, you have a beer, Nate? I did have a delicious uh, Miller Light. America. Yeah, we're we're in America, dude. Here. It was it was a gorgeous day, and uh, and which this this tour got highlighted. It, I can't get over how witty he was. I feel like he was really on our level of humor. I feel like at portions of the tour he was really just speaking to us as the audience. Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, there was a lot of the heartland on that boat as well. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been in real America for two days now, and it's starting to rub off on me. Evidently, they don't have Ozempic here in the heartland. <laughs> no, and everyone says hello to you. Yeah, I mean, we like that part. But so the tour's great. He takes us, you know, and he it's it's not so high highfalutin architecture, but he points out some really key kind of key elements to the great buildings in Chicago. It's a great way to see how the city's built, a little bit of the history of the city, mm-hmm. the fact that the city is actually named after a stink a swamp with stinky skunks in it. Right. So so the. Uh, native name for it translates to swamp that smells like a skunk. Yeah. yeah. Um, which doesn't sound that appealing, but, you know, look, look what they built on it. They yeah. built an amazing city. Yeah. The city burned down in the Great Chicago Fire, and then uh, city planning was invented. By a guy, Bernheim, I believe is his second name. Burnham. Burnham. Daniel Burnham. He invented city planning in order to rebuild the city of Chicago and then became the fastest growing city in the world um, in the next uh, ensuing decades. Uh, and... You know, that led to some of the great, uh, you know, European architects coming over here after World War II and building iconic buildings. Mies van der Rohe, so a lot of... A lot of Mies. A lot of Mies. Just some real, real slappers. Some real Mies slappers. Um, it was it was a great time. It was the perfect time. It was sixty minutes, like like Doctor Doc went up one of the rivers, down a little channel, and then back into the back into the lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, yeah, so it was like not too long. Not it was just just right. Weather is gorgeous. See the bridges up close. Really get a feel for the city. I've been here probably you know close to a dozen times, but I really feel like I know the city better after having seen it from the view of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like you, I've been told to do it like every time I've been here, and I haven't listened to anyone. We finally did we it. We fucking did it. It was awesome. Highly recommend that if you are in Chicago. Well, but for a pro move, I was talking to a, a curator at the aforementioned Art Institute at dinner last night, which we'll get to, and she mentioned to me that for the real pro move, so you've done the, you've done the group tour, you've mm-hmm. had someone take you out on the big boat, uh, it, in the bottom of that corn cob building, kind of the marina size, the, the marina, the Wilco Yankee Hotel Foxtrot building. Exactly, mm-hmm. you can uh, you can go in and bearing no special license or certification, with just your your ID and a credit card, you can rent a little motor powered, like gasoline powered boat, Damn. and you can putt putt yourself around Damn, the river. That sounds fun as shit. I, that sounds like a good time to me, man. Yeah. Oh man, why don't we just go rent one of those dinghies right now and just 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 like you know hop on it, take it to the Navy Pier, you know. They got valet over there? I think I'm over my limit on Diet Cokes to be doing something like that. <laughs> I'm tempted. Uh, but Next time. There's always a next there's time. Always, there's, there's always, always a next, next time. time. Exactly. We can always just rent a dinghy and, and you know, get a... Get a... So we, 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 got off, we, we got off the boat. We raced, raced to grab the pod gear. We ran out, and we were in, like, some deep neighborhood. I'm not sure where that Corbett they, B. They Dempsey is. They said the name of it. I can't remember. It was far. Yeah, it was, it was far. far. It was a it was a ride. We got to catch up prep for it. We'll get to the interview itself, but this gallery they had a great Gilliam show up. But the the office these guys both share it is stacked with records. No um, computers, no laptops, just yeah. so many incredible records and, and books and books and, and a lot of amazing books and stereo equipment that you know to my layman's eye looked. Pretty sick. It sounded we, we we listened to a little bit uh, of an LP that was spinning as we came in. Yeah, I love the no computer thing. Like, well, if we need something from the internet, we we just we can just stand behind someone at the front desk and <laughs> ask them to do it for us. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. That's yeah. that's a goals for me. Like, I don't even I don't totally. even want to have to think about having a computer a on my desk. List office is goals. Yeah, yeah, that's a very very chic look. Um, yeah. we'll get into that all in the second half. Um, of that, and then we went to go see uh Abby this- Pucker's uh a group show. Uh, also in this sort of similar industrial neighborhood, this is the Fulton Market area, mm-hmm. what they call it, uh, which is growing really fast. I was there a year ago. There's a lot of new shit over there. Uh, really cool, really exciting. 
uh, great little group show there that Abby put together. Shout out, Abby. Yeah, it's something she has an organization called Art in Common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a curator, Zoe's, whose second name I can't recall Zoe right Lukov. now. Luca put together a really, really interesting show. Like people like Chase Hall, a bunch mm-hmm. of people I'd never heard of. Yeah. Rick Ritt was in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marina Brevimek. You have all sorts of uh, ran the gamut and a bunch of young people. Very cool show, all about water. Um, so we checked that out. We had a little chips and salsa, as I recall. That's, that's true. Yeah, there uh, were chips and salsa. Yeah, and, and it's a cool thing. I you stay there for a minute. I had to jet out to get back here to drop off that cursed fucking pod care case. Mm-hmm. Uh, pod. Cad case, what? Whatever what we do, what's Whatever it called again? A podcast, yeah. Podcast, yeah. 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 Uh, drop that off before I headed to my dinner. We we both we were separated at dinner. It we was, were. It was traumatic. <laughs> I think we both had good times, just Look, different times. We're just covering all our bases here. You know, we can't go to all the same things. We gotta, you know, we gotta represent. You know, there's two of us. We can be at two different dinners. That's true. Force multiplier. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, uh. I went to my friend Mickey, uh, whose guy was formerly called Friends with You. Uh, uh, had a wonderful uh, dinner celebrating Lauren Quinn's paintings at the Smart Museum mm-hmm. uh, here in Chicago. Uh, and it was a cool, such a cool dinner because it was a bunch of curators uh, and, and local kind of arts heads. Mm-hmm. So I got to hear, you know, everyone was very proud. They were like stoked that we went on the boat tour. I was kind of embarrassed. Like if you told someone in New York you went on one of the double du- double decker bus tours when you were in town for an art fair, yeah, it, I, I would not take that kindly. It hits different in Chicago. Like, oh yeah, I do that at least once a year. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the Sears Tower has a new name now because some some Wahoo bought the naming rights to it. Everyone in Chicago still calls it the Sears Tower. If you if you call it by the new name, you're a narc. An important, important point. And I had like I had to say a, a tasty Italian inspired dinner uh, that like I was I was feeding my face. I was hungry at mm-hmm. the end of that day, even because all I'd eaten all day was that portobello uh, hot dog. It's called a Segnatore. Uh, restaurant. We had some Caesar salads. We had all different pastas. Mm-hmm. A very good uh, whole roasted branzino. It was incredible. We love a fish. They we left, love a fish. Left the head on, it. so I was able to attack the the cheeks. And Mickey was like, "Oh, you know how to eat." Yeah, I mean, you know, the fish cheeks is the best. Uh, whereas I, I was at a dinner hosted by uh, my colleagues at Art Forum, David Velasco, the editor in chief, in town representing a bunch of other staff members. Lloyd Y, shout out Lloyd, um, were in attendance, and they invited some really. You know, some real deep heads of the Chicago art scene. You know, uh, people from Rona Hoffman Gallery, uh, Richard Gray Gallery, uh, plus a, lo- a lot of curators from the Art Institute and the MCA. Uh, it was a really cool group of people. Some uh, writers, artists, Miriam from the Renaissance Society was there. Uh, the director of the fair, Tony, came by, uh, which was fun, of course. A lot of other uh, Expo Chicago staffers were there. Um, we also... Feasted on meats. We're at the at the publican, the the, oh. the publican, which is a Fulton Market staple. I think it's been there for about ten was, years. Was, was was Gordon there as well? Because he mentioned he had had dinner at publican last night. Uh, Gordon was actually not there. There's two different publicans. Uh, this is the private room. Oh, uh, oh the publican is usually open for lunch and they serve sandwiches, but they do a private dining thing at night. It's a great restaurant. I've been there. I really it's, it's enjoy really fantastic. it. Fantastic, um, uh, fantastic restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went to go, uh, I crashed out far mm. too late for me. Uh, you went to go see some live music, right? Well, I, I briefly met friend of the pod, uh, uh, Paul DeFremont of I mean Rush Gallery, to have a drink. He chose as the location Buddy Guy's uh, Blues Club, and we saw a little bit of live music. It's funny, um, what they do is they have a band go and play like two songs, and then they swap it out. Uh, so you kind of get like samples, it's like a little nibble. And, you know, some of these bands were fine, and some were really good. So it was kind of like 
open mic night or something. Well, as I recall, our one of our Uber drivers yesterday who was busting out some pretty good jams himself on the stereo, mm-hmm. he 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 approved of that club venue uh, choice. Yeah, so I, I stopped by. I really, I just had one drink and, and then I crashed out. Well, French so. people just love stuff like that. Oh, it's a real American culture, the blues, eh? Yeah, I mean, like, it was fun. I'd never done that before, so, you know, it was nice to stop by. I was I was wiped, though. So I, I was home by very reasonable 11-ish p.m., 11.30, I think. And, uh, you know, woke up fresh as Daisy this morning. I did. I, I woke up cranky and oh, yeah? ill. And then, like, not ill, but just cranky. And, like, I'm not, I'm not used to, like, the, my schedule gets off a cockpit, mm-hmm. eat late. Woke up. I had, like, Zoom therapy at 8 a.m. Hardly oh. had any coffee in me. And then, mm-hmm. of course, had to go check out the berries, you know, see what the locals are up to. Tell in the me about space. The, the Chicago berries. I want to hear everything about the he Chicago berries. Okay, the guy chatted a lot. A lot of chit. A little bit too much chit chat for people me. People like the chit chat. They're, they're, they're friendly folk. Yeah. I know. I just, just want to hear some house. I just want some hear some house music and have someone yell numbers at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more than that. And it was also it, it hewed more to the pop music side. And I'm not saying that in a positive way, but it was fine. Uh, they had an absolutely cursed, cursed shirt that I think I sent you because you know uh, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't buy any branded sports gear uh, from any fitness places. But this was like this was a real tough one. Is that so? This is a tank top, mind you, and just says oh my God. dumbbells and deep dish Barry's Chicago. Unbelievable. Yeah, it really made me mad at the world. Yeah, I mean, like for all my my. Uh, Adoring love for Chicago. That really tested. That tested my love. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I know. I know. It was, it, was a t- it, was, it was a rough text to send out early in the morning to people, but I had to do it. Yeah, it just really cut me, cut but me I, down. But I was, listen, I was in a better mood after sweating it out, came back, had uh, got, got tidied up, uh, started editing uh, the podcast, and uh, and then went and met you over at noon uh, uh, for the very opening of the Expo Chicago Art Fair. We were there right at the start. What did we see? What did we see at Expo Chicago? A lot of great stuff. Big fair. Big fair. Some great stuff, certainly. Some great stuff, certainly. Um, a lot is a lot. You know, I I, I was drawn to uh, you know, I first my first stop was gonna go see Corbett v Dempsey, uh, mm-hmm. because you know I wanted to go check those out. They had an amazing uh David Hart uh uh photo tapestry, a tapestry based on a uh, on a photograph. A great that Rebecca was incredible. Morris. Yeah, they had a fantastic Rebecca Morris. Um, our friend uh, Gordon Venicoson had sponsored an amazing Aaron Curry sculpture installation, kind of in the mm-hmm. in the main grounds of the fair. Um, he also had like one of my favorite artworks. This uh, this great Piero Manzoni. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, any it, it's a plinth there. Anyone who stands on it becomes the sculpture. Unbelievable, amazing. Um, you know, Gordon also brought a, a real fresh looking Issy Wood. Man, yeah. that was a that was a a dinger. It was great. Yeah, the, Iz- the Izzy was absolutely dope. Um, a lot of good things. You know, I popped into a lot of back closets and saw some ex- exceptional yeah, things. A lot of, like, classic American, very tasteful work, the kind of work that you see in some of the great collectors uh, based here in Chicago. And listen, there was a lot of filler. You know, there's a lot of galleries I never heard of, but I got to get into some really nice conversations with galleries that I didn't know so well. That's uh, great. And so that was kind of nice. These local guys, friends of the pod, uh... Uh, uh, M. M. LeBlanc gallery. Mm-hmm. And they had some weird, dope-ass things, man. Yeah. I, I can't even remember the name of this gallery, but there was just some Gertrude Abercrombie's, like some real good ones just on, on the wall of this this random local gallery that I wish I remember the name of. Did you get a price check on any of this? I probably should have. Uh. Um, But yeah, you know, Max Hetzler is here. I went in the back room there, saw some great Tip Dunham drawings. Um, There was some really cool Christopher Wool on the wall at Loring Augustine, as well as a a brand new Eva LeWitt wall sculpture that was very, very nice. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, our friend Alice Ortazar brought some great Linda Bangles. Oh, his Bangleses were banging. They were all placed, basically, as yeah. well, uh, mm-hmm. which was impressive. Also had some Julia Shear paintings, which oh, yeah. I wasn't that familiar with. Uh, and, you know, I 
I don't want to blow up the spot, but the things he had in the uh, in the back room uh, were incredible. Oh yeah, we're, we're not even potting on that. Nope. Sorry, Nate's taking a sip of a sip of my jug of water. Um, Just cleared the throat there. We're and uh, yeah, and so the the fair was fine. You know, it's big fair. It was just it was just, there weren't that many people there. It's like a real v, VIP mm-hmm. opening early. I think it goes all the way until nine o'clock tonight. I mm-hmm. think as people get out of work here in Chicago, they'll be filtering through. And I know they've done a really um, you know one of the core things they've done is invite and sponsor a lot of curators yes. from around the country to come out. Uh, to be able to experience the fair, I think you know. Also, hoping that that'll spur in some gallery sales by mm-hmm. you know getting curators interested in projects or finding things for their institutions' collections. Um, and there's a ton of ancillary programming in terms of talks and dialogues and that sort of thing. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of programming uh, just surrounding the fair. You know, people come from all over the Midwest. You have the museum directors from all these towns like Kalamazoo or Cincinnati. They're all here. You know. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it was interesting at dinner last night. You talking about that? How there's this whole regional. You got Milwaukee mm-hmm. and you know uh, Minneapolis, and like they're all kind of you know these these all these cities are sort of interconnected on the cultural scene. I see it as a kind of American Kunstverein. You know? <laughs> wow, it's just this sort of like. Yeah, Midwestern sort of like, you know, network where there's a, you know, decent sized regional museum in all of these cities and mm-hmm. they come together and they talk to each other. They, you know, they share shows, they, you know, and they all come together here in Chicago during Expo. Um, another thing I saw a preponderance of was, um, not a preponderance, but several works by different um, First Nation peoples, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Native American artists, which I thought was really interesting and good to see. Um, yeah. You know, I think out here in the heartland, like that, that, that history is so much closer to the surface than maybe it is uh, than in a city like New York. Totally. Yeah, that's very, very true. But yeah, just overall great fair. We're going to go back to the fair uh, because the MCA Chicago hosts a little cocktail party at the fair this morning. Yeah, we're just having a little pod break right now. Um, I only complaint is I got a tiny ass little bottle of water, of still water, like one of those little glass Italian jammies, Mm -hmm. and it was $6, and that annoyed me. Our fair prices, bro. I know, but I don't know. It's water. (laughs) <laughs> like upcharge me on the sandwich that I'm not going to eat, not the water. Right, yeah, the, people got to have point. to, people, you know. I don't want to, you know. I carry around the water bottle to a lot of places. I really didn't want to carry it around the art fair. Wish yeah. I had. Um, so we did that. We were there for about three, four hours, and then we decided our tummies were a little rumbly and uh, did want to have one of those aforementioned overpriced sandwiches. So where'd we go, Nate? Well, we went off campus because we had to go check out the God Rick Bayless's original restaurant. From Terra Grill, which fucking rules, man. That place is just awesome. Rick Bayless, if you don't know, I mean, maybe you're uh, familiar with his jars of salsa that are sold pretty much everywhere. You used to have a great uh, PBS, I believe, cooking show. That's also true. Just like the fucking G. Like, this guy, like, kind of reinvented uh, Tex-Mex and Mexican cooking in Chicago, and uh, we went to Frontera Grill, because that's where you go. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, if you don't know, and it seems kind of strange to me, Rick Bayless, he's clearly a Midwestern dude. You see mm-hmm. his presentation, but he's really into, like, specific regional cuisines of Mexico and spent a ton of time down there mm-hmm. and really, you know, embodies the food in a yeah. way. Um, and there's obviously a ton of other great Mexican food here in Chicago by people that are actually Mexican. We uh, we ordered like kings. It was a perfect order. No complaints. Mm-hmm. Zero notes. Just like yeah, we just got everything. It was it was awesome. We got all the things, and we didn't we didn't overdo it, even though we got all the things, because uh, we 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 still were uh, geared up and went right from there back to the Art Institute of Chicago, which was finally open today. Nate hooked us up with some VIP passes. Uh, yes, we went to the Art Institute thanks to Matt Waskowski, one of the curators there, who put together my uh, wife's late mother's show at the Art Institute, the Sarah Charles show, uh, a few years back. 
Um, and we checked out, yeah, everything that we've seen. We saw all the old bangers that you might have seen in a little film called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They're all still there. They're great. It was great. S- it Surat, was great. Yeah, we we jammed Monet's, through there. Oh, we man. saw, you know, we definitely at one point that looked at each other go. in a room. We're like, you know, oh, there's like two and a half bees right in this little room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just some haystacks, man. Um, stacks of haystacks. <laughs> Just, just stacking hay. Uh, but yeah, obviously that was a treat. Uh, Gal and Stefan Edlis's collection, mm-hmm. um, you know, just fucking killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, oh, we went to go see uh, Man of the uh, Artist of the People himself, Salvador Dali, uh, which was like, you know, absolutely packed. Yeah, jam packed in there. Um, and then we went downstairs to a show that was not packed at all, uh, but I found just really, really great. Stanley Brown's show uh, that. I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about it. Yeah, you just don't want to photograph it or write about it. I think we can talk about it. I, I think that it's kind of verboten to even just comment on it at all. Listen, one of the absolute driest but kind of most radical artists you can imagine working at the intersection of conceptual and minimalist art, uh, but in the European context, um, really weird shit. And I, the thing I said when I walked out of there, and I still still believe this, is that like, good luck getting AI to make that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ChatGPT. Got nothing on Stanley Brown. Um, and uh, and now here we are, basically. Now here we are. We're going to go back to the fair. We're, we both got dinners tonight. Uh, we're going to just experience some more Chicago. I'm going to try to make it to a few more museums tomorrow. I've got a talk at the fair also, if anyone's listening to this before 2 p.m. I'm doing a talk. Yeah, I'm going to try and get this up before my flight tomorrow. I and mean, we should mention we also shared a dinner in New York the night before we left for Chicago. That's true. Uh, it was that Wednesday evening, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Oh, man. This was... What an evening. So earlier in the evening, Wednesday, we're back in New York now. Uh, I went to a little cocktail party at the Mets, uh, which was very chic. People really dressed up for this, uh, celebrating Cecily Brown and her new show at the at the Met, which is really a remarkable yeah, thing. Yeah, and every, to see. everyone was there. Every- everyone was there. I believe even Anna Wintour was, uh, was in attendance. Yes, yes. Right? My, my boss was there. Uh, yeah, I mean, just off the top of my head, I saw David Sally, Julian Schnabel. Um, you know, uh, Jessica Craig Martin, uh, Adam McEwen. Uh, I mean, everyone. All, all the heads were out. All the heads were out. I'd seen the show itself earlier in the weekend. Took the, took the kiddos by. Jeff Coons was there. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. whoa. Bury the lead, much, Poppy. Uh-huh. So I, I mean, it was just a whirlwind. I was only there for 45 minutes. Was, was Larry like, there? Didn't see Larry there. Uh, you know, I did. But Paula Cooper Paula was there. Paula Cooper was there. Uh, Stefani Bortolami was there. And I bet Thomas Dane was there. Was he? I, I'm sure he was there. I don't he think he might I, not have been actually. I didn't see him, so I can't say for certain, but maybe he was there. It's um, just a podcast, bro. We don't have fact checkers. <laughs> I just I'm just saying for the record, I didn't see him. But Joe Biden was there. It was incredible. Biden's in, in Ireland, and you know that. I do know that. I do know that. Um Yeah, couldn't make that because I had to meet a friend and then you showed up a little bit later over at the Whitney Museum for our friend and the great artist Josh Klein's mid-career retrospective opening. I mean, what a fucking show. Unbelievable show. This is a a needle pushing, whatever the cliche is, it's doing all the things. Josh knocked out of the park. It's, It's really a game changer for the Whitney and for Josh and for New York. You know, it's just like, it feels like the first artist of that time to get a big show at a big New York museum. Um, and it's a tough show, man. It's not like a crowd mm-hmm. pleaser. I don't think this is a household name. This is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, this is not Salvador Daldi, shall we say. Right. Um, but I think it's an important show. And one thing, you know, uh, that I 
that I, I found really key and important was uh, outgoing director Adam Weinberg when he was talking and he was talking about this show and, be, and in those things and talking about the role of museums in general is to make people comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I really like that notion. I'm, this is something I'm going to remember and carry with me because I think that's really true. And this is a very uncomfortable show, but hopefully the context of the museum will, will help people ease into it because um, it's about you know a lot of the dark parts of the world we live in in relation to labor capital and the environment. But Josh is also an unbelievable aesthetic artist and these these works look amazing they, yep. they they look like they were made yesterday yep. and he has such an incredible affection for the object that yes it's difficult and it's un, it makes you uncomfortable it's also a beautiful show gorgeous like, and really well installed chris Liu did a fantastic job yeah, shout out chris who's i'm really at table i'm really proud to represent some collectors that lent to the exhibition mm-hmm. um like because i just think it's 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 radical show. and it is good looking stuff like you know in a very specific way because it looks like the future Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there were a bunch of other key people there. Um, I saw Tony Salome out of Beirut mm-hmm. was there or earlier. Um, didn't see him at the dinner. The Rubels, obviously, who have been big early supporters of Josh, they were there. Eleanor Carey was mm-hmm. there. Um, who am I forgetting? Marty so Eisenberg was there. Eisenberg's were there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean J- the the younger Rubels, Jason and his wife. Who else? Who else? It was it was it was a packed it was crowd. Really it felt very New York. Um, some really great speeches. Uh, Crystal, who's no longer with the museum because mm-hmm. he left to kind of be involved in some sort of blockchain art organization, I That's believe. Right. Uh, I think he might have been having a little bit of FOMO as he was up there uh, at this fancy dinner uh, talking to everyone. A uh, bunch of members of the board. It was like a classic New York evening for me. It really was. It was just one of those nights that I'd been looking forward to for a long time, and it. it did not disappoint. Yeah, and I think there's a big public opening tonight uh, that'll, right. that'll have like half of all the all the New York that was in uh, that was up at the Met for that big opening. I think will be there, and there's a there's a, mm-hmm. a couple dinners that the galleries are throwing. Down. Oh, I got to sit with Stuart Shave. Yes, uh, I had Scott Shave. Rothkopf at my table, who's mm-hmm. the soon-to-be director of the Whitney Museum. Um, you know that it really reminded me of the import and the power of that museum and of that building, which was really looking great. Yeah. Uh, and and that little room where they had the dinner was wonderful because you had a great little vista to the Hudson River. Yeah, I haven't been in that room in ages. I know they do talks and kind of music performances. Last time I think I was there was uh, for Memorial uh, in honor of the late great curator Klaus Kurtis um, a number of years ago. What else, Benjamin? We we got stuff to see in Chicago. Yeah, I we think... gotta get we gotta get going, man. Get and I think going. and and I'm, I'm I'm not watching the clock here, but I really do want people to have the time to listen to this incredible interview mm-hmm. uh, with Jim and John. It's uh, they just have a lot to say, and I will leave it at that. So that'll be coming up right, right after, after this. this. Welcome back to Nota Bene, Benjamin. We are here in Chicago, as you know, listeners. And in what neighborhood that you just asked about? How's your how's your instant recall doing? We're going to learn all about the neighborhood we're <laughs> we in because have we have it. two esteemed guests. We're in their galleries. We are here with Jim Dempsey, John Corbett. Thank you guys so much for having us. This thanks is awesome. For, uh, thanks for uh, doing this. Corbett really v. Fun. Dempsey, like a great prize fight. Uh, well, it's actually, purposeful. it is on purpose because yeah. uh, there were two heavyweight champions. Uh, one gentleman, Jim Corbett, heavyweight champ, late 1800s. And Jack Dempsey was heavyweight champ mm-hmm. about 1920. But they would have never fought each other. Although there was another Corbett and Dempsey who did fight, but they weren't the guys we we're talking about. <laughs> uh, uh, that's an, for another podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, it did uh, it did seem like an interesting way to play, uh, throw the verses, and there were either a law firm or a boxing match. And <laughs> people remembered us 
um, because of that. And I happen to be a boxing fan, so I'm a little proud uh, to be able to tap into that. Legacy. It's always stuck in my mind because of that, and very little sticks in this mind. So, like, you know, <laughs> on a branding level, yeah, if the thing doesn't work out, you know, I know. Chicago <laughs> well, does it, have a rich history in advertising. I mean, there's a really weird Chicago angle on it as well, which is that my great grandfather was a doctor. My grandfather and my father were all doctors. I was the big disappointment. And, uh, my great grandfather started a clinic about a mile and a half from here called the Corbett Clinic. And wow. he was uh the the boxing commissioner or the the boxing uh medical uh officer for the city of Chicago for the state of Illinois. And uh his um and he was a fan of like professional wrestling and boxing and uh he was a good friend of Roy Rogers. So there's wow. like, pictures of him on uh, uh, with Roy Rogers and, and, uh, on trigger and stuff like that. And he was friends with, uh, with Jack Dempsey. So there wow. was a Corbett Dempsey scenario. Connection already. Yeah, Amazing. Proof of it. Sounds like he was pretty connected in machine politics, probably at some level. I think he was, um, uh, what I understand is that he was always, he wasn't an on the take kind of guy. Um, uh, but you couldn't be in that business and not have to deal with the mob and have not have to deal with, uh, you know, with all of the crooked politicians here. So, yeah, I'm sure that there was some of that. Well, that that that's old history. We'll get into recent history. You guys have been here since 2004. Do I have that right? Correct yeah, we've me. had we've had the gallery since 2004. We moved into this current space about four and a half years ago. Um, but uh, but, yeah, we're coming up on 20 years. Incredible. And what were you guys doing before then? Were you just friends? Uh, I know teaching. Like, what was kind of background? What was the genesis? What made you guys decide to join forces together to open a gallery uh, space? Well, I ran an art house movie theater here called the the Film Center, and then later it turned into the Gene Siskel Film Center. Um, so I knew a lot of folks who were interested in um, great films. So that, um, John, I would see John at uh, at come to see movies often, and um, John programmed a lot of live music here in Chicago and kind of music I was a fan of so I would go see the things he would program he would come to the film and watch films so we were for a lot of years we knew each other for just uh, seemingly having similar tastes on the scene so to yeah. speak yeah a little in, in passing I was teaching at the school of the art institute um, starting in about 1988 Jim was at the art institute um, as a painter um, and uh, and filmmaker and all sorts of stuff and and um so we kind of crossed over there but we really didn't know each other from from that and then i was working on a lot of music stuff here um organizing concerts and i started a record label and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff and a lot of that we've pulled over to the gallery and we do that's a you know sort of a another part of what we do at corbett versus dempsey um but that was the how we knew each other and and jim we first got started uh, before the gallery, a couple of years before the gallery, Jim was programming some Sun Ra films at the um, at the Cisco, and called me up, knowing that I, you know, had worked on a lot of Sun Ra stuff, and said, "You want to um, come in and do some uh, some something with me?" And uh, yes, yeah, I wanted him to just introduce the first uh, program we're going to do. It was Sun Ra Sundays. <laughs> through a course of a month. So it was four programs every Sunday. And I said, can you introduce the first one? It'd be great to have your energy here. And John said, actually, I can do all of them if you want. And uh, actually, I have some ephemera 
that we can maybe hang up and hang in the lobby. And I said, oh, that's great. And I've got an unrecorded raw piece that a friend of mine can perform live before a film. And all of a sudden it turned into like this amazing festival. I was like, well, first of all, I've got no budget. And, uh, and John was basically like, that's fine. I'm used to not getting paid for stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, you get all the free popcorn you want. Yeah, that was that was worth it. Yeah. yeah. No. But that was the beginning of it and then we had such a good time doing those four programs that uh we you know really literally just looked at each other and said why don't we start doing other things together. I was uh temporarily the chair of the exhibition studies program at the School of the Art Institute and I was doing some little programming on the sly there sort of in between shows and uh asked Jim if he would collaborate with me on some of that stuff. So we did a bunch of shows um, in that year and a half or so. Um, And it was just really amazing working together. And at a certain point, we said, why don't we do something where we don't have to look around for a space to do it all the time? So we we ended up opening up our own space. And and it was a bit of a miracle that it worked, but it worked. Uh, And we were able to um, just sort of plug ahead show by show and... Yeah, we kind of figured it out on the fly, really. We, I think we thought we would be private um, dealers where we might have a little storefront in Wicker Park, have a piece that had sign- uh, historical significance, call somebody to come see it, tell them the story, and maybe they would buy it. And a friend of, we asked a friend of ours, do you know of a little storefront around? Um, you know, we don't have much of a budget, of course. And he said, well, he had a record store at the time and still does called Dusty Groove. And uh, he said, well, my third floor is open um, in my building where the record store was and we went up there and it was 3000 square foot. And we we're like, Oh, this is way, and we, we, we can't handle it. He goes, well, what, do, what, what can you handle? We're like, well, we're looking for something cheap. He's like, what's cheap. You know, I even whispered the, the number of our, uh, that we were thinking of a monthly thing. And he said, well, why don't we do that for a while? And if you guys start selling things, uh, we'll adjust it. And, and we shook hands wow. right then. So we went from, uh, in about 10 minutes, uh, even th- thinking about what a gallery meant to shaking hands with a landlord. And I I really think if we had gone home and said, Hey, we'll call you tomorrow. We'll think about it. We'll call you tomorrow and tell you if we want to do this thing. A hundred percent, we would have talked ourselves out of it (laughs) or anybody we told of would have said, why would you do that? That's, I mean, the first people we, the first people we told that we were doing it, who were friends of ours in the art world, (laughs) one of them, uh, said, uh, did you fall on your head? <laughs> yeah. Which was actually a really good question that we sort of didn't know why he was asking. And then, you know, it took us a few years to figure out why. <laughs> well, you both were coming from more performance-based, time-based media, right? Had either of you ever sold an object before? Like outside of like maybe retail or something? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I sold vintage Levi's here and there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, outside of, but listen, it's kind of the same game, right? Yeah, yeah it kind of is, yeah. Uh, we, n- not really. But it was certainly, I think from, I would say in a way, yes, but the way is a little oblique, which is that the record label that I started was called the Unheard Music Series, and it was exclusively dedicated to uh, lost music, right? So it's music from the 60s and 70s that had either been gone out of print or had never been in print in the first place. It was tapes that were made and were, you know, uh, languished some in somebody's closet or whatever. And... Um, so even though that's not selling like old things, it's selling, you know, it's selling things that uh, have a history. And a lot of the activity of selling that material or of, of finding a new cultural context for it was about telling the story, 
And I think for us, telling the story at the beginning was extremely interesting because we began to have a conversation amongst ourselves about why we knew the story of Chicago's art history so little. We were both fans of the city. We both have lived here more or less in one way or another our whole lives. And it's like our, our whole adult lives anyway. And it's sort of like, you know, why do we why do we not have a broader narrative? There are these little like narrativeettes here and there about like one part of it or another part of it. But why can we not put this whole story together? And uh, so that became part of the uh, that became part of the mission at the early going for us was really to try to understand that for ourselves and then also to try to translate that. And that became a great platform for us to begin to say, you know here's this artist, here's how he or she fits into this broader schema, and here's how that schema fits into the broader American and global art. And we world. thought it was a real puzzle, uh, the, the Chicago. It was kind of functioning on its own, a little bit in the shadow of New York. There, there, there wasn't a lot of pressure, market pressures. So artists were just, they were friends, they weren't competing, they were just doing their thing. And, uh, you know, as a student of the Art Institute, um, as a, a young painter just out of high school, I would see somebody would say, oh, that's Carl Worsom. He uh, teaches here, and he, he's also a great artist. I go, oh, really? I've, I've never heard of him. You know, or Ray Yoshida. I mean, of course, I was 18 years old at the time, but it was, um, you know, there should have been, I should have been able to go into the to the Art Institute a bookshop and take out a buy a book on Ray Yoshida and just flip through it and just be like, wow, this is my teacher. Uh, you know, but that that didn't, that wasn't really the case. And so we, you know, and one thing John and I used to say too, is like, how do you get from Grant Wood to Ed Paschke? That's a really interesting, uh, you know, trail. So um, we just got really fascinated by, by that and just kind of putting that puzzle together. Well, yeah. And looking back at your program, like a lot of that's what the program has been and looking at these figures and then kind of contextualizing them with, with national or international figures. Because Nate and I, on the ride over here, we're looking through the programming and thinking about Chicago and thinking about, thinking about art in Chicago. And think about almost a fundamental weirdness, at least to us who both live in New York, like, a, a you know, it's not self-taught, but it's coming at things not from a straight-on lane, right? There's an, a, a true avant-gardism or even eccentric kind of flavor to it. Um, I think that comes through in your program. Like, what have you guys kind of identified? What is it about the city that's allowed that to ferment, this kind of weird Midwestern, super American, but also super not American kind of vibe? I think one of the things Jim said is a big part of it, which is that the it's the underdevelopment of the market here, right? I mean, there's been an art market in Chicago back into the 19th century. <clears throat> the, you know, the Art Institute was was founded as a as an adjunct to the school. So, you know, there is this kind of history of galleries here and the earliest um, modern art um, curators came out of the, uh, out of the commercial art, industry as it were as it wasn't at the time but there were you know these small pockets around of um commercial activity but it it never took on it never rose to the level of uh of sophistication in terms of the industry and competition that you had in new york and eventually in la i mean chicago and la were quite alike at a certain moment in terms of that underdevelopment chicago you know had um into the 1950s and 60s, like much fewer 
art galleries than per you know per artist than you had in a place like New York. And so I think what that meant is that artists could do whatever they wanted to, and um, for better or worse. And they supported themselves as usually as teachers, but not always, sometimes doing other things. Um, and that allowed for that eccentricity, that allowed for all sorts of experimentation, it allowed for, I mean, it's not avant-gardism in the sense of being part of a movement. I mean, we talk about the Imagists, we talk about the monster roster, but in a way, those are really like art historical catch terms for people who were all ferocious individuals. Yeah. They were not like looking at one another and saying, I'm gonna paint like him, or I'm gonna do what she's doing. It was really like, individuals who banded together for the sake of presenting their work more than anything else. So the Harry Who shows, for instance, in the mid-1960s, they were done more out of a sense of wanting to have a, a smaller, a limited show that would showcase six, five, six people, four, five, six people, depending. Um, because at that point, there really wasn't a place for them to be showing commercially there wasn't until the later in the 60s when uh, Phyllis Kind showed up. And yeah. then Phyllis Kind kind of became the whole schmear. And a lot of the, a lot of the artists who were having any kind of success um, showed with her. And in some ways, that also became a bit of a problem, that, um, that there wasn't a kind of uh, a little bit of competition within that sphere. So all of those things just go to sort of say, this is a place you could do your own thing. And the consequences were not like being shut down or being ostracized. You were already ostracized. So and they you, all seemed like great friends too. You, you, you'd hear the stories of them spending Easter dinners together or babysitting each other's kids or going to flea markets together. So you really felt like they were the, the weirdos in the high school parking lot that you, you all gravitated to. It doesn't take long when you show up at high school to find your people, kind of, and you start a band or whatever. It just felt like these were the folks that just gravitated towards each other, and that machine just hummed, and I think they fed off of each other in a way, and it just uh, it's kind of just a beautiful uh, idea of, of uh, living as an artist or living as a human being. So at what point in your guys' evolution are you like, oh, well, yeah, we'll take this Lee's handshake, like the kind of thing, you know, as you both know now as art dealers, like if you get someone to say yes there, you don't want them to go home and think about it, so you say yes. Down the line, like how many months or years was it before you guys looked at you and like, oh, we have a business, like we have a gallery. <laughs> we're, like not just like we're supporting ourselves, like that may or may not have been the case, but like this is like became your kind of raison d'etre. Well, well there was doing. a funny thing is, is the, the, we opened the gallery on a Friday night with the very first show. Eve Garrison, Chicago Cityscapes, 1930s. They're really beautiful. And uh, so our parents showed up, and we're some of our friends, and and we and so we're very excited. And Saturday rolls around, we get into the gallery, and a guy comes in and points at a painting. How much is that painting? Uh, that's um, $10,000. How about this painting? Uh, that's $8,000. And he's like, okay, I'll take them both. And we were like... <laughs> Fuck. Um, do we need an, do we we need an invoice for this, right? And uh, and so the guy and the guy was sort of like, all right, I'm going to give you a little bit in a check. I'm going to give you a little stack. So I was like, okay, this is already getting confusing. And uh, but it was really like we just had no clue. I mean, what was truly happening. we were make it was you know neither of us. Let's just say we did not go to school for being <laughs> art gallerists, and so literally that happened. And we had earlier that day been thinking, God, 
we're going to need to take a loan. Like we're, this is getting expensive. Um, I don't know if we can really do this. This happens. And then Jim is like, we need an invoice. So <laughs> I'm like, pull up a word document and I type invoice. <laughs> o, 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 one. Oh, that <laughs> the ambitions, is like, the ambitions. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. You know, uh, it was such a funny moment. Yeah. It was like, Jim, watch. Well, also the oh. thing was, is I was working at the movie theater, which was nights and weekends. Uh, so I would do the gallery in the daytime. I'd go to the movie theater at night. All my all my bills were being paid by movie theater money. And it was basically like, and I thought it, any money we came into the gallery, we just fold it back into the gallery. So in a way, uh, the thought of somebody walking in and me thinking, oh, shit, um, Maybe we can sell something to this person. Didn't really occur to me. I was just sort of like, let's talk about the work. You know, let's figure out this. And if there was some sale possibility, it'd be like, oh, my God, somebody's going to buy something. This is totally amazing. So in a way, just possibly us being, I wouldn't say naive in a way, but just so enthusiastic we didn't think about uh, commerce, uh, that uh, somehow um, we were able to just generate a little momentum and and I kept that movie theater job seven years into the gallery. And at some wow, point, man. which is probably more than I needed to, but as, as, a, as a kind of a dumb Irishman, I only understand a check uh, printed <laughs> out by somebody else and handed to me. I, you know, the idea of like having my own business still didn't occur to me for a long time. Um, but still freaks me out, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, you're using that, that, that big art house cinema money. you <laughs> not every month. <laughs> Yeah. I was going places. Um, and like, so obviously you guys were doing, you know, what I would think of is not Chicago specific, but looking back at the history of the town, then you start working uh, as well with, with artists your own age um, and that are kind of coming up in the scene, really becoming, you know, I think part of a community with you guys is the sense I get from afar anyway. Like kind of when did that evolution from kind of historical or was that always the intention? Well, we had a, a kind of a moment where we realized that showing... Chicago art to Chicagoans was probably not the best long-term plan uh, for the artists. I mean, really, that the best thing in some ways was going to be to get them out of the city was going to be to, and not only that, but we were thinking about context. And so if you have a gallery that's just dedicated to doing that, it, you're going to have, you're going to be pigeonholed pretty quickly. Um, so for us thinking about okay, what's another way we could do this? How can you slice this uh, in a kind of parallel way? And we thought, what if we bring really significant artists who for one reason or another we have connections to and, and um, who we love, who have a reason to have art shown in Chicago but haven't for one reason or another. And there's plenty of them. There's still plenty of them. Uh, and so the first artist that we really approached and that ended up being the kind of gateway to that was Albert Erlin. And we did, you know, and he has all sorts of connections to Chicago. Um, he had been shown twice at the Renaissance Society, once in a group show with uh, Christopher Wool and Georg Harold. And I met him there and we got to be friendly at that point. This was in 1988. I had a radio show in Hyde Park and we got kind of connected over him coming on the radio show and and uh, over music. Yeah. And so that, and I met Christopher at that point as well. And so that ended up being kind of germinative. Jim and I went over and spent some time with, with Albert um, in, in Switzerland. And eventually we did our first show with him. And it was a really interesting experience because it provided a way for us to understand um, 
the importance of kind of um, both the bringing in and the sending out. And, the, and around that same time, which was like 2009 or so, we started doing fairs. And we had kind of held off doing fairs uh, because we never had that kind of expendable uh, money anyway. Um, but at that point, it became something where we really needed to do that um, to spread the word. But that Albert Irwin show was the moment, basically. We opened that show the, the night before the new wing opened at the Art Institute of Chicago. So everybody was in town, and people were like, what's going on tonight? There's an Albert Irwin show at this gallery above a record store let's go and pr- and we just saw yeah, we could just like cool i can imagine that that yeah. <laughs> we could just feel as soon as we opened the doors we were like and saw the people coming in and felt the conversations and f- saw albert doing his thing and we we're in chicago and this shift you could just feel the shift happen and we we're just like okay we're just a different gallery now wow. you could just feel it and the, and, and the um I, I still remember very well jim and me we were sitting behind the the desk at the gallery we had a single kind of desk unit there and people would walk up the three flights to get in and they'd walk in the front door and we'd be looking straight at them and um i remember when uh ira wool walked straight in that was the first time we'd ever seen him christopher's dad christopher's father and uh and that was just like a a great moment for us because we were we became very very close friends with with him and loved him and uh, yeah 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 Christopher was born in um, Boston but actually grew up in Chicago yeah, that's yeah. right that's yeah. right but um, but he but yeah and, and Ira was a Ira was a really really interesting uh, guy I mean he was a he was great friends with uh, Dieter Rote he has a, you know his collection of Dieter Rote material was insane absolutely insane and he was a he was just an enthusiast the same way we were. Uh, and we just got sharing all sorts of stuff and it was a great experience. So for, for us, that was the moment when it really pivoted. And then that also allowed us to start thinking about doing shows with younger artists. I mean, there was a moment when someone, uh, we knew, uh, who was organizing some things in Chicago was like, okay, and you guys are going to do such and such because you're the old and the dead. And uh, so we had this little reputation for dealing with estates and with really old artists. And we do have like a fairly hefty number of octogenarian and nonagenarian artists in our program. But we also have artists who are our age and younger. And we don't have very many young artists. So that's actually not been something that we've um, concentrated on. But like I was teaching at the School of the Art Institute, Jim had his sort of fingers on the pulse of what was going on at SAIC at the time through, through being there and also having all sorts of interns coming in and people working with him. So we had a pretty thorough like feeling for what was going on at the school at a certain moment. And we even did do a young artist. We, we did a show called big youth. Uh, and then we did another big youth at another gallery in, in Berlin. And these were sort of like, um, shows that showcased young artists coming out of um, mostly SAIC, not exclusively. And a bunch of them are, you know, really doing very well. Like uh, John Gardner, for instance, is Mm -hmm. a great artist. And he was in the first of those shows. And, um, and they were really, really, uh, they were really exciting shows, but they were also shows where we realized this is kind of not what we do. 
um, I think. I mean, I'm, we've never really talked about it. No, that. we haven't. But it, but it's true. We we tapped into it, but uh, we were just a little further down the line, and and a lot of our interests. I mean, young to us is fifty years old. You know, <laughs> I love to hear it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, what was it like for the city to have like an, an Ulan show, Christopher Wool show, like come to the gallery? Like you know, these artists that haven't really shown in Chicago all that much, but you know, have been showing in New York and in Europe. Like, did the city really respond to it? Was there, you know, because it sounds so exciting? Like, it sounds so amazing. It was super exciting, and there were it was great. It was great, and we did other things that were for us equally exciting, and I think for the cognoscenti also like you know, an Archwagger show. Of course, yeah. I mean, that was insane. We yeah. got to do, and we got to spend time, gave us an opportunity to spend time with, with Richard, which was just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, totally amazing. Or a Peter Saul show. Yeah. Like, totally fantastic. Peter Saul had been actively showing here in the 60s mm. and really hadn't in quite a long time. So that was like a homecoming in a certain way. But also, I mean, I'm thinking of someone like Albert, I know just a little bit, but I think, and knowing the dealers he shows with globally, like fairly well, like, you guys are a different flavor. Like, you can come and talk to you about music. You can have a real discourse and conversation on a level that I think might not always be possible surrounding his other exhibition uh, spaces. I, the first time we we hung with him is he was basically when we proposed the show. He said, "Come to." He's. I'll, I'll be in Madrid. Come and come and meet me in Madrid, and we'll talk about this. And then we get to Madrid. We're checking in the uh, you know hotel, and John checks the computer, and Albert's message from him is my kid's got chicken box I'm, I'm not down there and we're like fuck we're in madrid and <laughs> Why not we here. come to madrid and then he's at like a moment when really like going to madrid was pretty much yeah, like going to the moon yeah, for us. Is true. uh and uh so he said well why don't you run around madrid and then um there'll be tickets at the airport and you come up and see me in switzerland so we're like oh great so we ended up making our way up to switzerland to visit him and we went and went into his place uh and um the we just went into a, a room and sat down on a couch and played records all night. We didn't talk about any any art stuff. And he said, well, uh, let's have breakfast in the morning and we'll talk about stuff we need to talk about. And mm -hmm. it was basically like it just felt like that was the bonding moment for us to just um, uh, listen together and talk about music. And, and, and the great thing is, you know, like uh, – going to shows with going to going to visual art shows with with Christopher or with mm -hmm. Albert or what you know like or with Joyce Pensado I mean mm -hmm. like we've done a lot of that kind of stuff and you know being able to do that and have this kind of f these friendships develop that also have uh, a lot of different layers and you know um, and are enriching in all the ways that matter to us. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, you know, for, for us, like that's the most exciting aspect of it is to be able to do these things, to be able to talk to people um, and learn from them and kind of see the world through their uh, eyes. Um, and, you know, and to be able to um, then learn from doing shows with them which mm -hmm. or doing publications with them or like we just worked on a really extensive um series of cds that we made with christopher wool he co-produced them with us uh, it's the black cross solo sessions and it really came out of like conversations that we were having with him at the beginning of the pandemic um about like 
what the fuck for these musicians? Like they're screwed. Like musicians Mm. who have been traveling and working and making their money on the road and now are literally like stopped in their tracks. Mm. So we thought about, well, what about doing a a series of solo CDs? We made a series of solo CDs. Like I, you know, I produced them uh, with the musicians. We, you know, like Christopher and we sort of collectively came up with who was going to be, who we were going to ask. We and the musicians were recording people. at home. That's so cool. Joe McPhee was recording inside his closet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was this really intimate situation um, that we were trying to, you know, I don't want to say capture, but in a way we were just trying to capture this, thinking about capturing this moment of musicians um, disconnected from their normal thing and just doing solo music um, in an aloneness zone. And then the other really interesting aspect of it, which captures another aspect of the overall pandemic, is that, um, well, Christopher made these really, really beautiful cover designs for them. And then finding someone to be able to print them during the pandemic. Oh, wow, yeah ended up being a massive pain in the ass. And Christopher has the highest standards imaginable when it comes to reproduction of images. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to work on that with him and then also to be like trying to source that uh, was, it was a great learning experience. It's not a learning experience I <laughs> would like to do over again. Um, because it was, it, was it was really intense. But the end result was so exciting. And just you really realize that if you just push that hard for perfection, you can arrive at it. And we ended up printing them at a, an art printing. So commercial printers couldn't get it to the point. Wow. That he was happy. He was happy. And, uh, and that was cool. Like every aspect of working with him on it was totally cool and understandable. And as always happens, whenever we work with him on anything from a, um, kind of production standpoint, uh, I feel like we learned new things about how to see the differences in, from one print uh, product to another in ways that like I just, I remember we made a catalog with him where I couldn't see the difference between whites that he was talking about until like we'd been looking at it over and over again. Wow. And I was like, oh, I get it. That's a different white. Like you're right. I'm just thinking about that that notion of pushing for perfection always, and isn't that what kind of sets great artists across media? Like you know, it can be film artists, musicians, like that desire, and even if it's a, even if it's meant to be sloppy, but that's the version of perfect, but never letting it halfway and continuing to push. Like that's what kind of 100%. really sets some up and for you, greatness. And you know, coming from, you know, spending a lot of times in, in a movie theater, you see a Tarkovsky film, and you see I forgot the title of it, where the house burns down and. And it wasn't quite right. <laughs> they build the house again. <laughs> and, you know, it takes six months to get back to that moment where it has to happen again. And then it's right. And then that film lives forever as the right thing. But who who would go through that except for somebody who's a little, who's a genius and deranged. And a little bit nuts. And yeah. Almost yeah. every other facet, just bit. good enough yeah. is okay. Yeah. Well, and the other aspect of it too, which I think about from the standpoint of improvising, but I think it's really important, like improvised music, but it's also very important to a lot of the artists that we deal with, is that the, um, the, the time frame within which perfection is achieved is not necessarily like... Um, it can be a 20-year 
uh, process that ends with a four-minute painting, right? But that includes all of the run-up to that. So, you know, improvisers are making, you know, people often say, well, they're just improvising. That just also, you know, indicates how we think about that. But what they're really doing is they're bringing all of that experience and expertise to bear on that one moment, which mm-hmm. is, to me, really exceptional. And, yeah. and the same way that painters like Chris are looking to see or seeing in a different level, musicians like that listening to listen, both to themselves and to their peers that they're playing with, to like really get into that flow state that can exactly. allow for that. Totally. And, and that doesn't, you know, we also have a lot of interest in, I mean, I'm thinking about an artist like Robert Lostutter. I mean, he's working f- at an absolutely diabolical level on these watercolors and graphite drawings. And they might take him two or three months to make each of them. And they're like, when we come over and he says, this one's not quite done yet. We're not really sure how he's going to be able to change it. And then we'll see it again. And we'll have taken a photograph of both of them. And it takes us a while to see like, oh, he needed another layer of graphite, but he had to do it one fucking molecule at a time it could be like five weeks and it's like oh and the thing about it is there's nothing about that that's less interesting to us than someone who you know prepares forever and then executes in a minute they're both uh they're both potentially engaging processes and um and so we have artists and i think that's the thing we don't have an aesthetic like i think Sometimes I hear people say that, like, your, your program seems like all over the place. It's like, I, I don't get the aesthetic through line. And it's like, well, there isn't an aesthetic through line. There's a, some uh, spirit to what is there is the through line. It is not about like, oh, we like, uh, we like messy paintings. <laughs> or we like really bright fastidious yeah. paintings or bright things or we like really dark stuff. Nobody likes dark stuff now, so... Um, speak for ourselves but like a classic mixtape but back in the day when we'd make the mixtape and it would just Mm -hmm. be like how are the songs responding to each Mm -hmm. other and how far out can you go to make this cohesive in some way that's Mm -hmm. just really about spirit more than it is about some uh, singular line or something totally I mean one of the people who's a great inspiration to the gallery is a guy who died at the beginning of COVID his name's Hal Wilner and he was a great record producer um, who, whose first record that he made was a, a record called Amarcord Nina Rota, which was uh, all compositions by Nina Rota, who wrote for Fellini and wrote film soundtrack music for Fellini. And, the, and this is a record that had um, Debbie Harry on it from Blondie and Steve Lacey, the great saxophone player, and like a really wide... Bill Frizzell's first, a good, great guitar player, his first recording. Mm-hmm. Really wide range of folks like uh, uh, Muhal Richard Abrams and like, so wild people next to one another playing Nino Rota music. And that, the spirit of doing that is like for us, if our program has some of that uh, energy in it, that would be really exciting because we do think a lot about how the overall program functions rather than sort of like keeping it one thing at a time. So, um, you know, that, I think that's the mixtape, mm-hmm. uh, method. 
I mean, the vibe here is incredible. I knew this just from like the program from afar. I could never put my hand on it, but just being in the space and being with you guys and seeing yeah, the listeners. level of of thought, and it's not connoisseurship. It's like real dedication to looking, listening, and thinking. Um, that I would postulate, I've noticed it's true that like being a little bit outside of a place like New York gives you the space to do that. You don't need to jump first. You don't, you can actually do the thinking and then the jumping. Um, it, it, there's something to that. I mean, I think our first show with Charlene Von Heil, she had been working on an j- enormous painting, bigger bigger than anything she'd ever shown. And you almost got a sense uh, when she was preparing to show that with us that she was sort of like, oh, I'm going to... I, I, I can I can let loose a little bit and do this uh, you know, in Chicago with you guys, and it just felt a little bit like maybe we maybe maybe there was a couple of rules that applied to us that might not have applied to other people, or maybe we had some space that, that could afford somebody to 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 move in, in in different ways. But that was just so thrilling to think about this. This could be a place where somebody could stretch out a little more than they might normally. Yeah, the market wasn't bearing down. In, in any way, I mean, for, for that. And it was a challenge that we enjoyed. And, you know, and, the, and there is part of it also, I'll say, like, you could hear our story and you could say, oh, like, what a couple of rubes at the beginning <laughs> of it. I think really what it was for us was um, we really like the puzzle of doing it. And, and I really like the, um, the business puzzle of it too. Like, I, you know, we were willful in coming into having a commercial business. We could have gone like a cultural center route. You could, you know, this place could be that and has a little bit of a whiff of that. But for us, the, the, the problematic of like, how do you, how do you sell things and how do you frame them in order to sell them? And how do you try to find the right home for them where they're going to be safe and they're going to be cared for and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so like, that was a great conundrum. Okay, great. We're going to get a 17 foot wide painting. Um, awesome. By somebody who's never shown in Chicago before, who's a famous painter. Um, this is cool. What are we going to do here? And now it hangs at the arts up right now at the art Institute and is part of their collection. So for us, like finding the way to make that happen, that's like yeah, that's really it. exciting. Yeah, yeah. Kind of know? Exciting. down the joints so they fit together in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of the kind of museum placements and just kind of thinking about that, how much in the beginning, you know, someone walking in off the street and be like, Oh, I'll take these two things how much of your kind of client base that are regular clients are based here in Chicago or the, or the kind of this kind of region versus more internationally? Like I'm not looking for a a number, but what's the vibe? That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, we do have a handful of folks who we work with here in Chicago and we, again, we work together kind of a feeling as if we're collectively building something with them. Um, but it's, um, that's hard to really say. I don't think. Yeah, about I would that say. I mean, regionally, we have we have some really great collectors who are um, in Indianapolis who have worked oh, cool. with us for a long time, and um, who have um, promised gifted their collection, which is an amazing collection, to the museum there. Um, so that's a win win, and it's and it is you know I would say it's part of the broader region um and we have a bunch of our you know bunch of folks that we work with pretty regularly here but i would say at least 75 percent of our overall um sales are uh outside of chicago Mm. um my feeling is and that's um and 
um, that's nice. That feels like a really good uh, ratio in yeah, a way. For sure. Um, kind of skipping past many years of history, just because we walk through it, you guys have an amazing show of Sam Gilliam's work up. Um, who'd you, like, when, what was the genesis of this? Like, kind mm-hmm. of, you work with the, sadly, the estate, or kind of what was the, what was the deal? Well, we, we worked with um, uh, a printmaker named Bill Weege for quite a long time. He was a super interesting guy and somebody that we met um, probably uh, 10 years ago. Um, we knew about his work before. He was very politically active in the 60s um, and made really politically uh, incisive print works in that period. Um, and we ended up doing a big show of that stuff, which was great and working directly with him. And we worked with him until he passed away, um, two years ago. And, um, among the people, he was a master printer. He started tandem press. He was like, he had another print shop called the Jones road print shop and stable. Um, you know, going back into the very early seventies and, um, he worked with all sorts of great folks, including, um, Alan Shields and, um, and Sam Gilliam. And Sam was the person who worked with him the most, uh, avidly, um, for 45 years, he would come up in the summers and, um, work with, with Bill. And so that was how it came to be. Um, uh, Bill died. We had actually been working on this show with Bill for a couple of years by the time Bill died. So it's about four years ago, we started working on this show. Sam knew we were working on the show um, and blessed it. And then Sam passed away and, uh, you know, it had been already sort of on a trajectory to come now. So, um, and then it, you know, it was very exciting to be able to have the kids here, have Bill Weege's kids here and, and, uh, and sort of recollect um, their experiences from early on with Sam. Sam started coming there in 1972 and making prints with him more or less right away. And uh, I got to hang with Sam um, in 2017. Um, my wife and I <clears throat> vacation near uh, where Wiggy's place is in southwest Wisconsin. And so we happened to be up there when Sam was up and I called Bill and Bill said, oh, you should come over and hang out. And so I went two days in a row, spent time with him and he was pouring uh, onto these big blue tarps that would become the work that he had in the Venice Biennale in uh, 2017. So Mm -hmm. this was 2016, actually, summer of 2016. And it was just spent two days with him hanging out, watching him work, talking to him, listening to them remember and then just uh sitting down and like really going at it with sam about history and about um kind of his take on um african-american art now and um abstract art now and it was really it was a great education um and a a blitz of material that's really special yeah Yeah, he's a really special guy um and the show looks like I just got a few minutes off to go back out, but like absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's we're really proud of it, and again, it taps into the the Wisconsin thing too, which has got a whole nother podcast on that one. But it's you know, there's that 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 kind of energy too. There's a Midwest, uh, uh, you know, vein of just uh, just insanity. I was just up in in Minneapolis a couple of weekends ago, and I had that same feeling up there. I was like, yeah. there's there's great crazy shit going on up here. That's so so sick. And it's, you know, it's well served by the museums, 
but it has very little to trumpet it. I mean, there are a couple of commercial galleries, but there's little to trumpet it outside of the city. I mean, there are great galleries up there, no doubt, but not a lot. And so in that way, it has a lot of parallels to Chicago. I think, you know, that's the same situation here. We have really great history with galleries here. We have Rona Hoffman, you know, has been doing it for a long time and at a really high level. And, um, you know, uh, Donald Young was a giant influence on us and really important. And Emily Letourneau, who uh, is our director, you know, was a director there for a long time. So there's we see the lineage very continuously um, with those with those galleries and we would be proud to be considered part of that lineage um, um, you know but that's a matter of like trumpeting an awful lot about what's going on here through a pretty uh, pretty small bore trumpet you know like with a handful of galleries that are really and it's more now I mean there are people who are really rising to the occasion and really taking what they're doing very seriously and bringing it around the world um, and that's really exciting to see. Um, I think it's actually shifting somewhat right now. But, um, yeah. Okay, enough serious stuff. Uh, we asked you about our hot dog recommendations. You're, you know, we yeah, don't know. Okay, like, what, what, where are we eating these days in Chicago? What's your guys' classic scene spots, like? The new spots. What do you want to drink? Where do you want to eat? Just, like, just throw it out there. That's a good question. I mean, Chicago is a, a city of neighborhoods. And mm. each neighborhood has got some janky strip mall with a, <laughs> a restaurant that doesn't have a sign on it with the most amazing whatever. Oh, uh, that's, oh so God. that's Wait. kind of the thing that we've we've been working on lately is just finding those treasures oh that you would w- drive by and never think twice about walking in unless you've discovered that there's, you know, somebody spinning some crazy, <laughs> crazy thing. So uh, that's kind of the thing. We're, we're on a roll. We can't tell you any of these. Wow. No, they're <laughs> absolutely <laughs> secret. Oh, man. No, we will. We will we'll we're two hungry, hungry boys. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Just tell um, us, tell us off pod. We'll keep it a secret. I promise. Yeah. No, we'll, we, we'll, we'll tell you a couple of great. There's a couple of great places. I mean, I'll, 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 I think from a bar standpoint, um, I always, I'll always say the hop leaf is a great place. Mm-hmm. It's up in, um, in Andersonville and it's been around for a long time and it's a really great, a really great beer bar if you're into beer it has a really good restaurant attached to it and uh and Sounds it's a, it's a great spot um from a food standpoint the place that i've become completely obsessed with and can't get enough of is this place called taqueria chingon which uh-huh. is up on western and uh, during the pandemic they opened right after the pandemic started and uh my wife and i went there uh, really literally once a week, uh, or actually ordered out from there once mm-hmm. a week. Um, it's a guy who ran a, um, like a French bistro, a very wow. longstanding beloved French bistro. And he decided I'm done with this. I've done this for a long time. And he quit and he took two years to kind of figure out what he was going to do and do a lot of research. And then he opened this place and I can't, still can't completely get my head around what you would call it because it is kind of like fancy tacos in a way but it's really it's also got its feet on the ground Uh and so for instance they have duck carnitas tacos and they're like 
Totally fantastic. Can't believe oh my them. God. They're so oh my God, freakishly fantastic. Every day there's just uh, new variations of tacos that they come up with uh, that sell out immediately. Oh, that's great. And, yeah. and uh, you know, Chicago's, in terms of Mexican food, uh, still uh, Max, the great Maxwell Street flea market, which is kind of shit now. Um, but the one great thing about it still is the little tents that uh, get put up and the families ha- are throwing down mm-hmm. the most amazing oh, like food. specific regional things it's more like real good. it's yeah, like yeah. the grandma and they're doing they're doing the, the, the fungus off of the corn stalks yeah, and yeah. They're, they're doing you know, really really amazing oh. stuff so the, uh, and great Ethiopian restaurants uh, here there's you know there's two two Chinatowns uh, um, great Vietnamese, but like I said, the, the when you start to get your ear to the ground and find these places, they're always a place that you would never notice mm-hmm. uh, walking by. And, and was, we're we're on the food thing. We're going to keep going for a second. Oh yeah, I'm just going to yeah. say. Oh yeah, uh, so you did a pretty okay um, hot dog, <laughs> but we have our each have our favorites. Okay, where uh, let's hear them. My favorites are not in the city. They're a little bit outside the city. But um, Gene and Jude's would be my very favorite. Um, And probably mostly, they have great regular Chicago dog, but they have the greatest fries of anywhere in the world that I've ever had. Aside from Greece. Greece, In Greece, you can get better fries, but not anywhere else that I've had in the United States. And then a place called Parkies. And Mm Parkies is in Oak Park, and is in a really weird, um, like vernacular architecture building with this kind of like peaked, triangular, oh, yeah. weird roof. With um, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's great. And the sign has um, a, a hand holding a dog with the pinky raised. That's showing class. how that classy, classy. <laughs> this place is. Well, Tony, if I don't make it to our, the expo tomorrow, <laughs> you, you, you'll you're know doing, where to find us. <laughs> you're doing the the, the, the uh, architectural tour by way of uh, by way of my stomach. Yeah, where where would you say, Jim? What are, what's your favorite? You know, what I would say is uh, I'm going to pull uh, one out that you can't go to anymore, uh, which was a place that ran for a while called Hot Dugs. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, and it was fantastic. Uh, and we, we we just sort of mourn the, the fact that uh, Doug took your order for uh, the whole time he was he was open and they've since moved in, uh, into the bleachers at Wrigley field. So they're still doing oh, okay. hot dog stuff, um, at the park, but, uh, to be able to walk into the, <clears throat> to the, the little, uh, corner, uh, hot dog shack and get like a rattlesnake dog. And, uh, you know, I mean, every, again, every day it was like nuke, some configuration mm-hmm. of a dog with, some, with some, uh, pate yeah, or the pate so. one is the one I remember. That, that was them. completely yeah. nuts. And, and they were sounds, so fun and chefy and it sounds kind of frou-frou and mm. it's they, the thing about these places. It's so great. Like Chingon is the same way. They're not like they're, they are fancy. But they're not frou frou. They're mm-hmm. really sort of like. I mean, that's kind of Chicago food. I mean, you guys used to have True and like all these high end restaurants, but they totally. were, they like, were, you know, they were yeah. a little bit like, uh, like a. Uh, there were there there was a blue collarness to making that food. You know, there were mm-hmm. they were like carpenters making like a like they were like H. C. Westerman making a piece of art. Like everything is perfect, but they're in overalls and they're right. tattooed. Well, even and, Grant's restaurant, even Alinea, like back in the day, yeah. like, it never felt like in the way that a New York like you mm-hmm. know Bernadan feels like. Totally, it was a different yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. it was about the labor. Like look at yeah. the labor we're doing. Right, for it's, it definitely is a totally. different vibe, and somebody's got to really distill that down to to explain it perfectly.
perfectly, but we're 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 we're, we're, we're you know we're sort of flying around it. But you're you're well, salt, to, salt of the earth. I'd call and it. The, yeah. and there's a, like favorite another favorite restaurant in Chicago is Lula's, yeah, which is in which is in Logan Square. And Lula's is great. Uh, it's the most consistently fantastic food, you know, and really beautifully prepared, etc. They have an unbelievable labor politics. Like through three years of the pandemic, they never furloughed anyone. Wow. That everybody had health care. You know, I mean, yeah. kind of stuff that restaurants just couldn't do. And it mm. wasn't like they were sitting on a pot of gold. They did it anyway. And like that's that's the vibe in a way that's the real Chicago is um, is that kind of sophistication, but without having to make a big deal about it. That's the that's I I don't think you could yeah, possibly sum it up better than that. Better. That sounds I like mean, Chicago, guys. Thank you so much. It was like <laughs> really so touching much to spend time with you in oh, your space, and I mean that really genuinely. Really yeah, a treat. This, this was a, super fun. I mean, it's yeah, fun yeah, for totally. us sometimes to just talk about it. We don't talk about our history very much, but when you get in a situation like this, we talk about the old days. And we're like, oh yeah, there's been yeah. interesting paths. Yeah. They're really getting to be old days too. Yeah, <laughs> Twenty years. Twenty well, years. I'm glad you guys took that handshake deal. Chicago's better off. Find this tape in the Library of Congress. There you go. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Note to Bennett, out.